0: you can take a seat. My name is Neely and I am a child of God. What a great declaration for this morning to start out with. I'm also one of the pastors here on the team. I work with the teenagers, with the students. Um, Bunch of weirdos, but I love them. Uh about 10 years ago, I went to a youth conference. It was a youth workers conference, and they gathered all the youth workers from uh, the, the United States, and we, we were there, and they would bring in these big-name speakers, right? They would bring in someone who had, like, just released a book, and it was supposed to be impressive to us. And so they brought in this guy this year, that this particular year. His name was Shane Claiborne. And if you May have remember he was here uh, this year, but he had just written a book called Irresistible Revolution. And this book kind of stirred conversation up in the church, actually kind of made some Christians a little upset. And so you could tell that there was like this excitement and energy to hear him speak. And I remember thinking, I mean, you're the main, the one session that I was so excited to hear was Shane Claiborne. I was so excited to be there. And he got up and he said, you know what, I know that I could totally entertain you because maybe you don't know this about me, but I traveled in a a circus. I can blow fire. And he did. He blew fire right then and there. He said, I can juggle. I could do a lot of things and you would be wowed. But today I'm going to give you the best sermon you've ever heard. At which point a room full of professional church people are like are you? That's so cute that you think so. Like, I have heard a million messages. I'm sure this is not going to be the best one ever. So I'm like, come on, guy, give it to me. I sit back, and it was nothing like I expected. He turned to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and he read Matthew 5, 6, 7, straight through no explanation, read the Sermon on the Mount, and then he said, now Jesus, give us the courage to live it, and walked off the stage. And everybody was like, oh no, you did not. I pay money to hear you speak, and you said you were going to give me the best message. We were like kind of upset. We're like, How, he does, who does he think he is? That kid? You know?" Like we were so upset. And then, because we're a group of professional church people, we're like can we be upset that he just gave us Jesus's words? Like, can we, we were like torn, like because we were kind of mad and then kind of like, oh wait, you're right, that is the best sermon that's ever been preached from our Lord and Savior who we have given our entire lives to. We cannot be mad about this. So now every time I read the Sermon on the Mount, I'm like right back in that moment of him reading it and then I always hear his prayer. Now Jesus, give us the courage to live it. So I love that Overlake has taken the summer to dive into the Sermon on the Mount, to dive into the best sermon ever preached, ever given, Jesus' longest recorded teaching. And I'm excited to do this. The last, five, uh, the last few weeks we've been on chapter 5, and today we're going to dive into chapter 6. And um, this is maybe one of the most well-recited parts of the Sermon on the Mount, because it's where Jesus talks about prayer and then he introduces us to the Lord's Prayer. And it doesn't really matter where you were uh, raised in church, outside of the church, uh, what kind of church you were raised in, pretty much we all have heard or could say parts of the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's literally printed on everything. Uh, Lee showed me this week it was printed on a bullet case, like casing for a gun, which is kind of a weird thing, but it's literally printed everywhere. We know the Lord's Prayer. We can turn on America's Got Talent and there's someone who unexpectedly has a beautiful voice singing the Lord's Prayer. You hear it everywhere. And so what I want to do is I want to read the entire passage in which the Lord's Prayer is and kind of look at it and unpack it because I think we're so familiar with it, we may be missing a few things. So let's read from Matthew Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this is a pretty interesting passage, and there's a lot to really unpack there. I think it says a lot about prayer. It says a lot about God. It says, says a lot about us. And I think we could spend a good chunk of time really diving in. But I want to kind of hone in on just a few things that I think we can learn about prayer from this passage. And then I want to look at a part of the Lord's Prayer. So two things I think we can learn from the, the, this passage on prayer, and this is your first fill-in on your outline if you're following along there, it's this, that Jesus assumes his followers would pray. that people of faith would pray. He says at the very start, and when you pray, again in verse 6, and when you pray, there's this idea that people of faith pray. We, we go to God with whatever we're experiencing, and we, there's a conversation happening with God. But I grew up in the church, and I know that prayer um, can be a struggle. It's kind of awkward. I have struggled with prayer, to be quite honest. It just feels unnatural at times, and I remember as a high schooler learning, hearing, I'm sure at a camp where someone had good intentions, but I heard that, you know, you've got to get up really early before anybody else, and you've got to pray for an hour, and I was like, okay, Great. I'm going to I am going to do this because I am sold out and I am going to follow Jesus this way. So I like woke up early, got up. I had like thought through like I have a prayer list, I have a guide of how to pray, like walk through certain steps. And I'm like feeling really good. I like start in, I do it and I like I mean, I go for a long time. And then I look at the clock and I realize only 2 minutes have passed. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. So then I'm like, okay, well, you know, I haven't prayed for the president yet, so I'll pray for the president and, like, any other elected officials that I don't know their names because I only know the president's name. And then I'm going to pray for, well, the United States. And then, well, oh, I'm at it, you know, let's pray for Africa, Mexico. Like, what are the other ones I can remember? Like, listing them. I'm, like, going on and on. I'm like, I have really nailed it because I am praying so much right now. Look at the clock. Minutes. I'm like, what in the world? Okay, so I'm gonna pray for uh, celebrities now because there's I know more of those. So I'm like, Shaquille O'Neal, you know, like I'm like going, Johnny Depp, whoo, he needs a lot of prayer. Um, You know, Taylor Swift, she's had a rough week, you know, for sure, the Kardashians. I'm like, just listening to them all, you know, like, and then I look at the clock and six minutes have passed and I'm like, okay, Lord this is your turn then. I got 54 minutes. I'm just going to sit here and you can talk. And then, you know, you feel like a failure. And so you give up and you stop praying altogether because we've set up some weird expectations of what prayer should look like. And what I want to encourage you, and I know this might um, rub you the wrong way, but I want to encourage you, would you start praying the Lord's Prayer? And I think sometimes as Christians, we We are a little hesitant or resistant to the idea of repetitive prayers or to liturgy. And I think that's because some of us, we grew up in a church where there was the practice of liturgy or repetitive prayers without the heart and the emotion behind it. And I want to encourage you that repetitive doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be the worst thing that can happen. It actually could be a really good thing in your life to take multiple moments throughout your day just to pray the Lord's Prayer. And I think what happens is a couple things, is that one, it teaches us how to pray. The Lord's Prayer was given to us to teach us how to pray. And so you start to pray the Lord's Prayer, and you realize when you're praying, God, uh, would you lead me not into temptation? And what you realize is you start to pray that in repetition, that you realize, oh, I know exactly what my temptation is. So then you begin to pray, God, would you keep me away from that particular area of my life that so badly needs your attention? And so the Lord's Prayer kind of guides you. The second thing I would say is this. Jesus said, this is then how you should pray. So Jesus is giving you permission to pray a repetitive prayer. And so I I would encourage you, if we believe that Jesus assumes his followers will pray and you're struggling, just pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. The second thing is this, that prayer leads to action. Prayer leads to action like being a Mariners fan leads to heartbreak. sad. It's so sad. Prayer leads to action like uh, doing CrossFit leads you to feeling pretty much better than everybody else. And then prayer leads to action like high school dances lead to, unfortunately, action. (laughs) Um, Not if they come to our student ministries, though. So definitely come to student ministries. That's a plug for student ministries right there. Prayer leads to action. But whose action? Whose action? I would say that prayer leads to God's action. Prayer leads to God's action. Any, If you look at church history, all of church history, and you see these great movements where God shows up and lives are changed and communities, communities are transformed, it's always started by a few people praying. Always. Throughout history, prayer moves God. We believe that, we believe that. But we also believe that prayer moves us to action. There's been this like recent debate on social media, which by the way, best place for a debate. Like online, yes. I mean, you can look each other in the eyes, there's like good body language. You remember that you love this person, totally. um, If you have something you need to argue about, take it online. Always a good idea. Anyway, so there's this recent debate online that um, asking the question, is prayer a good enough response? Is prayer a good enough response? Daily, it appears that you and I are bombarded with this world falling apart. A hashtag to pray for this tragedy. Everywhere we look, is prayer enough? And I would say this, yes, yes but we must understand that you and I may be the answer to our prayer. You and I being moved into action may be the answer to the prayer. Take the Lord's prayer. Take, let's unpack it a little bit. First he says, your will be done. Your will be done is it's praying like God, whatever you want to happen, happen. And I will what? Obey. I'll obey. Give us this day our daily bread. That means, God, you're going you're to move and you're going to feed us. And what is our action going to be? To eat it, to enjoy it. The, there, there's this interesting one where it says, Forgive us our sins as our debts as we have already, we've already acted. We've already forgiven those people who have sinned against us. And then it says, Lead us not into temptation, but the understanding then is that if God provides us a way out of temptation, that we will what? We will act and not sin anyway. So there's this understanding that prayer leads to action. Prayer leads to action, both God's action and our action. So now that we have those two ideas in mind, let's look at this one part of the Lord's Prayer I want to focus on. It says this, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder, what does it mean to pray these words? What are we actually hoping God will do? Does this mean, Jesus, bring your kingdom come and take us home before November 1st? (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm not sure it does. This prayer, though, could be summed up in one statement. God, set your world right. Set your world right. The first line is says, your kingdom come. The word kingdom is used over 96 times in the gospel. Those are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The time, the life of Jesus, 96 times the word kingdom. Jesus spent more time talking about the kingdom than any other subject. And usually it was in the context of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And this phrase, it means this, kingdom of God refers to God's rule or reign. Thus, the kingdom of heaven means the rule of heaven. And John the Baptist, when he was proclaiming that Jesus was coming, that Jesus was near, he said, the kingdom of God is near. God has come to earth. Jesus, he is the kingdom. He is God's rule and reign, and he is now here on earth. And then Jesus would Throughout all the gospels, tell these stories about the kingdom of God. He would say, "The kingdom of God is like a treasure, and it's hidden, Because this man has found it, and he realized how important this treasure is, and so he buries it, he goes home, he sells everything he has so that he can buy that land to have that treasure. That's what the kingdom of Heaven's like." And then he says, "The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's so tiny. It's so tiny, but in the kingdom of heaven, it becomes a large tree that is the home for many birds. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. New Testament scholars would kind of go back and forth about what exactly is Jesus talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Is he talking about uh, this moment right now, the present, or is he talking about what happens after we die? And the scholars would agree, agree he's talking about both. He's talking both about the here, right now, and that which is yet to come. The kingdom of heaven is both. It's God's reign here now, and it's God's reign yet to come. So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, remember that prayer. Remember, your kingdom come. So if Jesus is telling us to pray, your kingdom come, and then he's telling us exactly what the kingdom of God looks like, We have an idea of what we're hoping for. We have an idea of what we're longing for. Not just in the future or after this life, but right now. What are we hoping for? Jesus is telling us what it looks like, and he's saying it's going to be different because here's the thing is people that heard it, the first listeners, they were surprised by what Jesus said. Because sometimes he said the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet with unexpected people. Because the people invited didn't come, so we went and got the other people that we knew would come. And the listeners were like, oh, I don't think you should tell that story. And unfortunately, sometimes we're also like, I don't think you should tell that story, Jesus. But the kingdom of God, he's telling us exactly what it looks like. Exactly what his reign looks like. So when we ask for your kingdom come, we know exactly what reality we're praying for. What exactly we're praying for right now. So we pray it. We pray your kingdom come. And then the prayer goes on to say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here it is. On earth as it is in heaven. Is it possible that we could see God's kingdom come here? That we could see heaven come to earth? Have you ever had a moment where you like kind of long for heaven so much, it feels real? I am afraid of heights. Like really, really afraid of heights. And um, I think it's because my parents traumatized me young, as a young age, they were like the parents who were like take you to the top of the space needle and they're like, it would be cute if you guys were sitting on the railing. And I'm like, that's not cute because I'm like this. You know, like, it's not great. Or, like, let's sit on this bridge. It will be so fun. And I'm like, no, you know, if you fall over, you die. Like, I don't, that doesn't sound fun to me. But my parents were, like, set on, like, getting the good photo, you know. So I was like, okay. But, um, so it totally traumatized me. So now I, like, heights, you know, the rattlesnake, hike, ridge hike, like I like hold my kids back from the edge. They're like, it's six feet away. I'm like, I don't care. Like we're going to die. We went, um, in Northern Cal and they had the gondola ride into the trees of mystery. And I was like, Oh, this would be so cool. I didn't, I f- lost my mind for a second. Cause I didn't realize it goes up in the air, you know? So we're sitting in the gondola, small cage to die in, you know, like I'm in there, I'm like sweating. My heart is going fast. And I'm like, isn't this fun guys? Are we having a blast? Okay. I'm like, Jesus, please come now. Heaven take me. But like, or this spring, we took the interns to uh, California, and they're like, we should go on the Tower of and so I'm like, nah, we, we there's so many other rides. Let's do all those. And they're like, oh, you can't handle it. And for some reason, gets me every time. I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. Don't tell me I can't do something. You know, like, so we're in line. I'm like texting my husband, like, please tell my kids I love them. Like. You know, I'm like ready. I'm like, I just, this will be the one time it breaks. I'm certain of it. You know, I just start telling this story over and over. I'm like afraid. I'm like heaven come quickly because I don't want to suffer in the, you know, when we die. So that is a real fear for me, like a real life fear. And usually that fear is, I really am in that moment longing for safety and for kingdom and for heaven. But I recognize it's also kind of a simple one. That some of us, we live with stuff in our life that is leaves us longing for another place, for heaven. And it could be loss, it could be pain, it could be just watching the world implode on itself. And we can't help but pray, heaven come quickly. And I wonder if we're trying to escape. If we're trying to escape from relationships, from violence, from racism from politics, from hurt. I don't think as Christians we should be trying to escape from anything. I do think it's right and good to be longing for God's kingdom. I do think that's good to long for what we know he has said he will do. I also think likewise I've had moments where I've seen heaven actually come to earth. I've seen the fullness of God's kingdom. Back in 2012, our student ministries went to Kenya and while we were there, we met a young girl named Margaret who was living on the streets and we invited her to have a meal with us and we ate with her and as we sat and talked with her, it became so clear to us that we had to do something to help Margaret. And Overlake, we were there with um, an organization called Agape, who has a great ministry there, and we were there partnering with them, but they didn't have anything for girls. They only had a transitional home for boys. And so they agreed to kind of help us find a place for Margaret that night, but as we began to have this conversation, both Overlake and Agape agreed that we needed to do something for girls in Kenya. We needed to do something for the girls who lived on the street. So Agape launched a program, And since 2012, over 300 young girls have been taken off the street and put back in their communities, back in their homes. You guys, that is heaven coming to earth. That is God's rule and reign. When 300 girls get taken off the street and put in a home, their home, that is heaven to I've seen heaven come to earth in small ways too. It's, it's in those mundane things that become spiritual. I never want to take for granted that drive in on Willows where you see Mount Rainier. That is a taste of heaven on earth. Or sitting around the, the table sharing a meal with friends and you see how soon it becomes sacred when we start talking about how God has revealed himself to us. That is heaven on earth. Or in the reconciliation of relationships. Those that seem so beyond healing and God shows up and heaven comes to earth and there is healing. I've seen heaven come to earth around a communion table. As a group of his followers remember exactly what kind of king we follow and what his kingdom looks like. I've seen heaven come to earth on a beach in Canada watching 200 high school students worshiping together and without shame. I seen heaven come to earth as we baptized twenty-two middle school students in a small lake in Paulsbow. See, I've seen it enough to know that heaven is here on earth. It's close. It's usually closer than we know. And we're so trained to see the destruction and the brokenness and all the stuff that is wrong with this world that we have forgotten to see that God is moving right now, right here. His kingdom is coming. Heaven can come to earth, and that's the reality. We just need to train our eyes and our hearts to see it. It is possible. It is possible. See, the longing is for God's kingdom and what is yet to come, but there is also the sensing that God's kingdom is working right now. So we pray, God, make your world right. Set this world right. And we believe a couple things about that. We believe, again, that it is both here and now, and it is yet to come. But I think I want to make this clear that making the world right is about making our hearts right. It's about the salvation. It's about the salvation of our hearts, but it is also about the outer conditions of this world. Jesus died to set this world right in our hearts and in the broken systems. It's easy to look around and see that the world is not as it should be. The world is broken. You can see it in the hearts of man. And woman, you can see it in the broken systems of our world. So we pray, God, bring your kingdom. Set this world right. We ask for your rule and reign. We want it here and now. And T. Wright says this, the work of salvation in its full sense is one, about the whole human being, not merely souls. Two, about the present, not simply the future. And three, about what God does through us, not merely what God does in and for us. So if we learned that prayer leads to action, we have to ask, what is the action? What is the action? What is our action? What is God's action? Our work, I believe our action is this, to showcase with our lives and words what the kingdom looks like. Our lives and our words, do they reflect what, what we have said about God God, you are the king. You rule in my heart. Does my life and my words reflect that that pledge? Does it reflect that? I believe that we show the world what the kingdom looks like, and that requires us to turn our lives completely over to this king. It requires that we turn our hearts completely over to him, and then we turn our lives and our work completely over to seeing his kingdom come. I think it's an invitation that is exciting, it's big, it's hope-filled, but I think it's also scary, and I also think it feels costly. Eugene Cho, a pastor in the area, he said this, the idea, everyone loves the idea of justice, and justice is part of God's kingdom. Until, but Until we understand there's a personal cost, but there's always a cost to justice, so count the cost and press on. Right before Jesus died, he prayed in the garden, and he prayed, which I think is such an interesting moment here in in the story of Jesus, is that he's begging God, if there's any way that I don't have to die, if there's any way I don't have to suffer, would you please remove this cup from me? But then Jesus himself, right in that moment, prays the Lord's Prayer. He says, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus is showing us That in order to be people who say, God, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done. If we mean that in our hearts, it is going to require obedience. And it is going to require one being willing to lay down our own lives. There's an old, old pastor who used to say, whatever, wherever, whenever, your will comes first. That's a big statement to say. Wherever I am, whatever you're asking, whenever, I will say yes to your will. That requires us to be willing to lay down our lives. But I think it's also exciting and hope-filled. N.T. Wright goes on to say, People who believe in the resurrection and God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last are unstoppably motivated to work for the new world in the present. When we pray, we find that we are motivated to see God's kingdom. We want to see it, so we start asking the questions, where does God want to set things right? Where is it broken? Where are things broken in this world? And it's so easy to look because all you have to ask, where are the children with no homes? Where is violence the solution to our problems? Where is fear of others more accepted than the love of others? Right there is the brokenness, and we ask God, bring your kingdom, set these things right, and then we ask ourselves, what is the work that I must do to make it so? Our calling as followers of the King is to say with our words and with our actions, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This is what it looks like. In a small way, we point to the time when love will win forever, when all will be made right. it's not up to us. Our efforts are small. In fact, in the world's eyes, our efforts may look like failure. Our efforts will look like failure to a world that is bent on breaking and destroying themselves. We will look like we are doing nothing. But here's the thing. It's unfortunate to admit, but we're not going to solve the orphan crisis. We're not going to rescue every slave from human trafficking. We're not going to bring an end to poverty. And we're not going to see every person on, on this earth give their life to Jesus. But does that mean we're not committed to it? Does that mean we don't surrender our lives to it? No, because the way we live is, is in pursuit of setting the world right because it points people around to us to God's kingdom. We're not the ones who ultimately set this world right. We simply live in a way that points to the future reality of God's rule and God's reign. Our lives are showcases for the kingdom of God, what it should look like in this broken world. So that's our work. But God's work is this, bringing the kingdom here. It's important to see the difference between our response and God's response to this prayer. And actually to all of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. Because it's not up to us. We're not the ones who set the world right. See, we trust that God will set it right because he is good. We sang it this morning. We sang, God, you are a good, good father. That's who God is. And so we, even in the midst of what may feel hopeless, even in the midst of work that is tiresome, even in the midst of surrendering our lives completely, we do that because we realize God is good. He's so good. We've seen it, we've seen his goodness, we've tasted his goodness. When Jesus came to earth, when he stepped out and he walked the earth, we saw his goodness. We heard his goodness. We know that he is good. And when he says he will set this world right, we trust that. So in the end, it's up to God. (laughs) Only he can set this world right. Only he can bring the kingdom to bear in its fullness. Only he can heal every hurt. And only he can wipe away every tear. And we cling to this truth. And this truth gives us courage to live, to walk, to follow Jesus. And it also gives us courage to pray. Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to close in prayer And what I'd like to do, and this might be a little uncomfortable for you, I know it's a little uncomfortable for me also, is I'd like us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And then after that, I'll close us in prayer, just praying for our hearts that we would long and pursue for God's kingdom to come. But let's pray together Um, the Lord's Prayer. It's in your outlines or it's on the screen. We can pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done as it is in heaven. God, let it be so on earth. Jesus, would you move in such a way? God, this world is so broken and it is so in pain and there is such suffering. God, would you once again come and bring about your will, your kingdom that is filled with love and filled with hope and redemption and freedom and forgiveness. God, would you bring that kingdom? And God, would we be willing to say yes to be people who are kingdom workers who are willing to lay down our lives so that we might see your kingdom come to earth. Jesus, I pray for our hearts right now that we would be thinking of the people that are our enemies. God, would you help us to love them? God, would you help us to see the suffering? And God, would you not let us stand back and see it, but would you call us into the middle of it? God, we want to be your kingdom workers. We want to be people who have said with our lives, we want to see the kingdom come to this earth. God, would you set the world right? God, we want to partner. We want to be a part of setting the world right. Would you use us? Would you speak to us? And God, would we listen? Would we listen? And would we be unstoppably motivated to set the world right, God? You are good. You are good, and we trust that. And we lean into that even when we don't feel it or see it. God, you are good. Help us to be about good. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.